Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Well, hello there and welcome in. Yes, indeed, it is Downtown, the podcast. Episode number 284, is that right? Seems like a lot, but I guess that's accurate. Yeah, good to have you with us. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Well, a couple of talented folks join us on the podcast this week. A little bit later on, our friend, uh, former sportscaster and now nature photographer, Jerry Monteux. He'll talk about his new book, Zen and the Art of Moose Photography. Up first, though, a talented guitarist who has played with everybody in the business through the years. He's had great success as a solo artist as well. His last solo album went all the way to number two on the blues charts back in 2019. He is back with his first Christmas music in about 10 years, a wonderful rockin' version of The Nutcracker. We're talking, of course, about the very talented Gary Hoey back out there on the Ho Ho Hoey Rockin' Holiday Tour as well. Here's our conversation from uh, last week on Downtown. Hey, Rich, it's Gary Hoey calling. Hey, Gary, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic, thank you. Appreciate you squeezing us into your busy schedule today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Well, man, I love the new song. You talk about uh, putting a little kick in Christmas. It's great. Oh, thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate that. I worked I worked hard on that song. It wasn't an easy task, I'll tell you. Well, I remember, I'm old enough to remember, uh, was it uh, Nut Rocker back in the, gosh, of the 1960s? But uh, this takes it to a whole new level. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I, um, I'm excited to have something new out. I haven't, I haven't had a new holiday song out for a little while, so it's great to have something new. Yeah, what's it been, about uh, 10 years since the last one? Yes, we, had, we put out the, the complete collection, which was a double disc, and uh, the whole Hoey complete collection, and then I'm like, okay, I think I've almost recorded every Christmas song. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what led you to do uh, The Nutcracker? What, what said to you, you know what, that needs a little, uh, a little kick in guitar here. Absolutely. Well, you know what? I, I heard, I heard the melody one time. I've always loved, um, I've always loved the holiday music, you know, but I heard the Nutcracker one day and I thought, you know, that melody was so haunting with the piano. And I just thought if I could take it and put it to the guitar. So I, I transcribed all the keyboard parts in my studio, put them in like a MIDI file. And I sat there trying to learn, you know, all the different piano things like that, you know, And, and putting it on the guitar, and then I thought, what if I put like a little heavy crunch in it, you know, like a Bernie James Dio. And it was born. <laughs> Boom, I love it. Now, it was uh, well, back in 95 when you did the first Ho Ho Hoey CD. Were you surprised at the reaction that people had to that? I was so, totally surprised. I mean, you know, I think the the best things in life sometimes, the best ideas happen when you just think this is cool. I'm not trying to make money. I'm just trying to do something cool. And in 95, I had just I just had a big hit with Hocus Pocus, a remake I did. A lot of radio stations played it, and my manager and I were like, you know, we should just put together like some Christmas instrumental music to send to rock stations to play for bumper music between tracks and stuff, and just as a thank you. And I didn't have any plan of even releasing an album and we um 
So I sat down, I started recording some holiday music, and I said, oh, there's enough nice Christmas music out there. What if I take it and add a rock edge to it and take out the vocals, because everybody knows the words, and just make it instrumental rock? And I had no idea I was one of the first, if not the first, to do it in 95, because there was nothing out there like that. And I did the whole thing in my bedroom on an 8-track tape recorder, believe it or not. And um, I just was shocked when the 12 Days of Christmas hit the radio airwaves and people were calling up going, what is this music? And so it kind of took on its own life after that. Well, yeah, I feel like you created your own genre of holiday music. I think so, you know, because, and it's interesting because I grew up north of Boston, you know, it was always cold. My mom was always playing Bing Crosby and Elvis and, you know, Frank Sinatra records. So Christmas was big in my house and the music. So the melodies were embedded in me. And I, I just thought, you know what, I have, a, I have the, the opportunity to do this. And with the last name, like Hoey, I'm like, this is destiny. Ho, 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 <laughs> here we go, you know? <laughs> well, speaking of that, the uh, Ho, Ho, Hoey Rockin' Holiday Tour is out there right now and uh, making some stops here in New England and pretty, uh, pretty close to the old stomping grounds. Uh, on the 30th, you'll be in Fall River. Yes, I'm going to be in Fall River. I'll be at the Mohegan Sun. I'll be in Derry, New Hampshire. I wish I was coming up to Maine. Uh, we've got to get some shows up that way. I've been meaning to do that for a while now, so I'm going to talk to my agent and see if we can get a show up, up that way and see you guys. Well, that would be fantastic. So if people go to see the uh, Ho Ho Hoey Rockin' Holiday Tour, what kind of things will they see in here? Well, the tour is now on its 28th year. I can't believe it. We're 28 years in, and it's become like literally three generations of people coming to the shows with their kids, grandparents, and um, we do a lot of the holiday hits that we normally do, and every year I try to inject some songs that we haven't done and something fresh and something new, even off some of the albums that I have already released. We'll have the Nutcracker, and then my, uh, my son, Ian, he's 22. He's a guitar player really becoming great and he's been learning my christmas show so i'm going to bring him out on stage to have that like father son kind of thing and uh duel it out a little bit with my son oh that's fantastic we're talking with gary hoey here on downtown and again this year another great tradition you'll be giving away an autographed fender guitar on christmas day people can go to the website at garyhoey.com to register what led you to do that as a, as a wonderful surprise for a fan every year you know, we started that about 16 years ago, and, and it was my kids. My kids said, Dad, you should do a, a guitar giveaway every Christmas because we, we do give guitars away during the year for charity and different things. But we were, we were sitting around, and they said, do it on Christmas Day. So we started the tradition, and um, I love doing it because it always goes to some kid or some family that's just so excited. And I have this beautiful red metal play guitar I'm ready to send out, and all they have to do is hit my newsletter and then we'll email them on Christmas Day, get their address, and we'll ship it out to them and uh, make someone's day. Boy, and then uh, in February, you, uh, hit, you hit the high seas on the Rock Legends Cruise 11. And, uh, man, what an all-star group you'll be a part of. Oh, yeah, man. I love doing the Rock Legends Cruise. I've been doing it for a few years now. And this year, we got Sammy Hagar. we got Brett Michaels, Billy Gibbons, Rick Springfield, Collective Soul. A lot of great acts, and um, if people have never done a cruise, I recommend it. It's a four-day music cruise, and what I do is I host an all-star jam on one of the nights where I bring a lot of the celebrities down, and we have just like an open jam session, which, you know, where, where would you ever see that many acts, you know, on a ship at the same time jamming out? So it's really a, a great experience. And uh, you're still working at the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp this coming year? Yes, I am. I've been doing the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camps for over a decade now, and we have Nancy Wilson, 
some heart. We have the DeLeo brothers from Stone Temple Pilots, and we have uh, Chris Blay from ACDC at this particular camp with a lot of counselors. And what it is is the four-day camp where we every band gets put together. We put about 10 bands together. You could be a beginner, intermediate, advanced, and then each group will have a rock star counselor to kind of help them and mentor them so they can learn what it is like to be in a band, get ready for a show, and then we take them on the stage at the Whiskey A Go-Go in Hollywood. Oh, man, that is that is fantastic. Now, you've done some great work through the years with Lita Ford. Uh, you worked with her uh, on her album Living Like a Runaway, writing, uh, producing. I understand you uh, are working on a, an upcoming Lita Ford album. Yeah, we've been working together for over 10 years now, and, and Lita's a dear friend and, and just an iconic artist from you know going back to the Runaways with Joan Jett and just her working with Ozzy. You know, she's really uh, like the complete rock star to me when I work with her, and she's such a humble person. And uh, we did an album, and now we've done a second album together, and it's, it's actually done. We finished mixing it. And she's going to put it out sometime in the new year. So I can't wait for people to hear it. It's a great record. Now, you had a huge success with your last solo album, uh, Neon Highway Blues, number two on the Billboard Blues album chart. Is there a, another solo album in the works before too long? Yes. Um, I have a new album I've been working on, which I'll have out in the spring. And um, this one's a little more rock and roll than blues. I've been doing like a blues rock thing for the last three albums. And this one... You know, I don't know if it's because Eddie Van Halen passed away and Jeff Beck passed away, but I got this fire under me to do kind of a more of a guitar record, if you know what I'm saying. Mm. And uh, and I wrote a song. My mom passed away in February. I, I used to do it with some social media called Coffee Time with Mom. And uh, my mom, I lost my mom in February. So I wrote a song called Dear Mama, which is going to be on the new record as a tribute to my mom. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, you are a, a guitar hero to so many people out there and, and have been for a long time. Who were the guys you looked up to when you first picked up the instrument? Well, when I first started playing, I was really into, I started playing in the 70s, you know, and uh, the mid-70s. So I was listening to a lot of like Jimi Hendrix, you know, Eric Clapton, Black Sabbath, um, and Jeff Beck. And then as the years went on, like in the 80s, I started listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, he was a big influence on me. And then a lot of the Kings, like B.B. King and Albert King, Freddie King, and a little Burger King, too, we could throw in there. Um, <laughs> but definitely all the Kings were influenced. And so that's that's kind of my, my biggest background as far as my influences. Well, yeah, and all the guitarists I've talked to through the years, in many ways, am I wrong on this? It's almost like a, a mutual admiration society. Everybody appreciates the work that other guitarists do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to look at um, the, the guitarists that have come before you and the ones that inspire you. I mean, I toured with Ted Nugent, Peter Frampton, Jeff Beck, I went on the road with. And if I ever thought when I was a kid, you know, playing in Lowell, Massachusetts, in my bedroom, that I'd end up on stage with some of these people, I would be, I'd lose my mind. And so you have to constantly look at the, not just the icons and the people that created it, but even the, the, the new artists that are coming out that have skills and um, there's so many young musicians now i go on youtube and i'm just like they get younger and younger and they have so much talent so i can learn from anybody you've been in the music business a long time gary is uh, i know there are more ways to get your music out there to people today do uh, you think it would be easier or a little tougher for somebody new to start out and more venues but also uh, ways for your music to get lost in the shuffle because there's so much out there you know what? I think it's, it's interesting because there's, a, there's a two ways I look at it. When I was younger, I, I couldn't, um, 
we, we couldn't really get a record deal. We had to just save up money and go in the studio and, and record a demo. You know, we try to get a record deal. But I think nowadays people have, like, computers now where they can make records in their laptop mm. and software and interfaces. And so there's a freedom to it now because people can just create music anywhere. And the Internet, if you're, if you're savvy and you, and you push yourself kind of cool, you can build a social media following. And you almost get like a little cult following before you get a deal. And a lot of record companies now look at artists and say, well, he, this guy's got 30,000 followers. Maybe we got to check them out. So I feel bad for the new artists, but at the same time, I feel good for them because they have an outlet to, uh, to t- try to get something out there on their own. Could you have imagined all of this uh, 40 years or so ago when you were hanging around outside of Berkeley? Oh, man, I, I tell you, I couldn't have imagined my career that I've had. I've been able to feed my kids on rock and roll. And, uh, you know, I thought like I thought to myself, I'm going to make it one way or another because I was very determined and I, I just wouldn't take no. For an answer. Um, but I didn't know how big I would make it. and I didn't even care. I'm just like, if I could make a couple hundred dollars a week, I'd be happy. You know, I just wanted to play music. I always tell people, if you do what you love, then half half the half the pay is doing your job and and if, if you can add in what you love like yourself you know you make people happy on the radio you're a dj you do things like this you're changing people's lives that's half the payment of what we get i think there you go gary hoey check out the new single we'll be playing it in a bit here the nutcracker sugar plum fairy if you get a chance to see the ho ho hoey rock and holiday tour three stops in new england later this week fall river mohican sun and Derry, new hampshire Gary, thanks so much for making time for us and putting a little rock in our holiday season. We sure appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Rich. I appreciate you having me on the show. It was a pleasure to hang with you, my friend. Awesome. Thanks again, Gary. You too. Take care. Happy holidays. Hey, that's Gary Hoey talking with us here on downtown. Uh, Again, those dates, some of those dates Gary mentioned uh, were from earlier, but uh, check out his website, GaryHoey.com, and see if the tour is coming your way anytime soon. When we return, we're talking moose and photography of such moose. Jerry Montoux, the sportscaster formerly known as Bill Patrick, up next on Downtown. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. the new holiday tune from Gary Hoey. Ho, ho, hoey. Rockin' version of the Nutcracker, Sugar Plum Fairy, here on Downtown, the podcast. Our next guest, a long run at ESPN, NBC, and other outlets, is a very talented sportscaster uh, known as Bill Patrick. For several years, he's been uh, back in his home state of Maine, plying his trade as a very talented wildlife photographer. He's collected some of those photos 
and some great stories as well in a new book entitled Zen and the Art of Moose Photography. It's our friend Jerry Monteux here on Downtown. Hello, Jerry. My multimedia brother from another mother. How you doing? <laughs> I am fabulous. How are you today? Well, I uh, couldn't be better, although I got to tell you, this is, this is weird for me, what we're about to do. This is very, very strange. So I'm, I'm going to let you go and uh, ask the first question, but understand I, I'm a rookie when it comes to this, what we're about to talk about. Well, I, I think you'll handle it reasonably well. I, I confidence is high here. First of all, and I, you answered the question right away in the introduction to the book, I wondered, had you read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? And Well, of course you did. Of course I did. And, and to be honest with you, um, it, it took me a long time to come up with the, with the title for this book. Um, but I'm, I'm secretly rich. I'm secretly hoping that uh, the people who behind Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance will sue me um, <laughs> for, for using this, this title. Because if, if Donald Trump has taught me anything... Uh, it's a world of lawsuits and nothing else. Exactly. And they, look, all publicity is good publicity, right? <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, I, I did read it back in the 70s when I was a kid, and uh, it, it resonated with me. Did you read it? I sure did. Yeah, well, we all did in the 70s, right? Yeah, we did. I, I assume so. I, if I read something, I assume everybody else did, too. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there, there's this one of the uh, one of the tacks in the books is is the uh, the protagonist is torn between uh, a world of uh, you know it, it's it's he's being uh, inundated with, with electronics and and it's a world that he doesn't really accept and disdains um, and that is the same with me to a certain extent except when electronics when 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 gizmos work for me then I love them when they don't I hate them. You know what I mean, and it's the same with photography too. If it, if these cameras work for me, I mean I can't tell you how they work, but if they work for me, then I love them. Well, the book is absolutely beautiful. Uh, the pictures are amazing, but I, I also enjoy the story uh, behind the photos that you tell. But but safe to say, this is not your typical nature photography book. Uh, no, it really isn't. So if you're a, if you're a moose hunter. Or a or a uh, a Trump lover, or if you do not like a saucy language, then this is probably not the book for you. But because it's told in my voice, and I I, I want everybody to know that this is my these are my opinions. This is my voice. This is my life story. Essentially, how I went from uh, network TV sportscaster to professional wildlife photographer, and what what it means to me to be out in the woods looking for wildlife and specifically moose. I, I, I make the point that uh, I could go out there and sit there for eight hours and not see a moose, and it's still a good day. Now, is it safe to say that this book, none of this would be possible were it not for the contributions of Bruce the Corgi? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank God for Bruce the Corgi. May he rest in peace. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the first moose that I ever photographed um, it happened uh, largely because I, I took my, my little corgi out for a walk. I was up deep in the woods at my friend's camp up in Caratunk, and, uh, which is in the northwest corner of the state. And uh, we were out just after dawn, and I had a primitive camera with me, but I had to take him out for a walk. 
because he had to, you know, do his business. And we were just a couple hundred yards from this from this camp, and I heard a, something rustling in the woods. And uh, lo and behold, it was two bull moose, and they were sparring in the woods, um, which is uh, not terribly unusual that time of year. It was late September. And uh, that was my first real encounter. So I, I, was, <laughs> I paired off with, with, with the larger bull, and Bruce the corgi was staring <laughs> down the smaller bull. And I got, a, I got shots of uh, all of it. Uh, but those two moose essentially changed my life. And let's also acknowledge the uh, contribution of your parents who gave you your first camera to, uh, um, well, uh, get you out of the house. Essentially, yeah. They just wanted to make whoopee in, in the, in, <laughs> inside and said, here, Jerry, uh, here's a camera. Uh, here's how it works. Now off you go. Uh, so, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they created a monster. And, I, you know, I've been taking photographs ever since I was just a little kid. Um, but it wasn't until I... I lost my job at NBC and had to do something with my life that I uh, decided that, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this, uh, what was a hobby into, I'm not going to call it a profession, but uh, it turned out to be uh, certainly an obsession and, uh, you know, a way to make a few bucks, but also a better way to enjoy nature, Rich. Yeah, and you uh, offer some some nice tips for people if they would like to join you in this pursuit. Uh, one of them is the idea that uh, if you want to get a really good picture of a moose, make what you call an, an oh-so-slight noise. Yeah, yeah, it's very simple, really. If you're, uh, you're out in the woods and you see a moose and he or she is facing in the wrong direction, uh, it's, it's really quite simple. Just do this. Try to follow me now. Try mm-hmm. to follow me. Do this. Do this. And they will turn around, and then you can take their picture. It's uh, that was really it. not rock. It's not rocket science. So you don't need to speak moose, then. No, I mean it, certainly that would that may help in other ways, uh, like for instance during the rut, if they're all interested in sex, if you can speak moose, you 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 may have it made. But if you just want to get their attention, just you know a simple, will do. Nice. And they'll just they'll turn around and they'll look at you and they'll wonder what the hell you are. Uh, generally, they don't run. Sometimes they do, but uh, generally, they'll just cock their head and look at you and try to figure out, you know, what the hell you are. Uh, but you got plenty of time to take a few shots, man. We're talking with Jerry Montour. His book is Zen and the Art of Moose Photography. Some people say, oh, they're they're the best time of day to get a picture of a moose or see moose. It's in the morning. You know, it's in the afternoon. What you say is that you can find moose any time of the day. The trick is to get the best lighting. True, absolutely true. Uh, in the middle of summer, um, you can find moose from sunup to sundown and beyond. But the, the, the issue there, as you mentioned, is uh, in the middle of the day, the light can just be absolutely horrible. So in, in terms of uh, pure photography, you would much rather have the morning or, uh, or early morning or late afternoon light to deal with. Uh, but you can find moose any time of the day. And that is the absolute truth. I can't tell you how many dozens, maybe hundreds I've seen at noon. So don't let anybody tell you that, that it's got to be daybreak or, or, uh, or, or dusk, because that just, that just ain't true. Now, for you personally, it sounds like Baxter State Park is the mother load. That's the best place or your favorite place to see moose. Well, I will tell you this. It used to be uh, not so much anymore. I mean, I tell you. 
You talk to some of the old timers who were who went to Baxter to uh, to photograph moose, like back in the '80s, and they'll tell you that that there are ponds inside Baxter State Park where you could walk in and see six, eight, ten of them at, at, at one time. That's not necessarily the case now. Um, and uh, but here's the thing: I do have I do have more spots that I go to now, Rich, that have become my favorites. But I can't tell you where they are. Unless, unless you buy me a cocktail or, <laughs> I mean, listen, I was in TV for 40 years. I, I can be bought. Well, I know. I understand how all that works here. Now, you also uh, go on to explain, Jerry, that moose are not all that cooperative in being the subject of your photographs. No, they, they just don't understand photography, and that's, the, that's one of the issues with moose. Uh, there are plenty of other animals out there that really get it. But uh, moose, they, you know what? I, I just think they don't care what I do for a living. I just, I truly believe that. So you have to adjust to them. I mean, if a, if a moose is behind a tree, for instance, and you want, uh, say, to get the entire body of the moose in the shot, generally you're going to have to move uh, rather than try to convince the moose to move. So, but, 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 but like I said before, uh, most moose I've found have, are not that skittish. If they're standing there browsing in a pond, nibbling away, they'll just they'll just stay there for an hour or so, and they don't really give a crap that you're you're standing there with a camera. And that is the absolute truth. Now you can spook them, you know, once in a while. If they don't see you coming, they don't hear you coming, which is unusual because they have great hearing. But if they don't know you're there, you can spook them, and then they'll 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 take off. But you're right; they're not. They're not cooperative because they don't understand the technology, Rick. Mm. The first, I think, yeah, probably the first time I saw moose, my grandfather had a camp up at Rockabima Lake up in northern Maine. That? Um, that's, yeah. uh, it's, I think it's a little bit east of the Ripagenus Dam. Okay, yeah, yeah. And we were driving in on the camp road, and all of a sudden, moose standing in, in the middle of the road. Yeah. And we sat there, it's, and we yeah. looked at him. And he looked yep. at us, he munched a little bit for a while, and I said, what do we do? And my grandfather said, we wait for him to get done. <laughs> and he, yeah. he was in no hurry. Yeah, yeah, and here's the other thing. Uh, an old-timer once said, you know what, you don't know what that moose is going to do because, frankly, the moose doesn't know what he's going to do next. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's just the way it is. Uh, but this is a big week. It's a big week. On uh, Thursday, I'm heading up with my moose photography buddies for our annual a uh, moose rut photo extravaganza up up north in a spot that I will not name. Uh, so this is going to be good. And they're saying the foliage up there is going to be spectacular this year. So here we go. Oh, I'm sure of that. Uh, I love the fun moose facts, and I'll, I'll share a couple of them here. Um, <laughs> one, people may not know that moose regrow their antlers every year, and, and each year they get a little bit bigger. Yes, it's true. This is true. Absolutely. And, uh, let me tell you, I, I, I forget exactly what I what I said regarding that, but uh, but cow moose really really dig that. Uh, but as you know, it's it's not the size of the antlers that matter; it's how you use them. <laughs> I also was not aware this was news to me. In, in the list of fun moose facts, that uh, moose are capable of uh, producing, I, I think it's what you call the flamen flamen response. Is that what it is? Yes, yes, it's where they actually they taste the air for the uh, pheromones mm. that a cow in heat will 
give off. So you'll, you'll see them. And uh, other animals do this, too. Uh, horses do it, too. But they'll, you know, they'll kind of tilt their heads up, and you, they reveal their teeth, and they, it's, they literally taste the air. Uh, some would call it smelling the air, but they open their mouths, and uh, they can taste what's going on around them. Um, and there's a, there's a couple of shots of, uh, of that, the Fleming response in the, in the book. And I, I've seen that a few times when I was in college, but uh, I, don't, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, I, I, that was interesting, too, you, when you talked about first pursuing the idea of, of putting your photographs in a gallery, that, that you weren't sure that was the right thing to do. But the point that you make more than once in the book is that if you do this and do it right, it is indeed art that you're making. That's right. That's right. I'm, it's, it's in the eye of the beholder, you know. Uh, a picture of, of a moose isn't necessarily art to everybody, but uh, I, I think it is. And, and if you're an artist, that's all that really matters. You've got you to please yourself. And the other point I make is that, you know what, so many people come in to, come up to me and say, hey, look, I got a shot of, a, you know, a sunrise or, or here's a moose in a field, you know, and it's on his, on his iPhone. And I'm, I'm looking at it going, great. But the question is, what do you do with those pictures? What do you do? You've got a million shots of, of you know, your schnauzer, Lenny, on your <laughs> iPhone. What do, you, what do you do with it? So uh, there's a chapter devoted to uh, actually what the hell do you do with those photographs? You can, you can put them on Facebook or Instagram or any other uh, app you can think of out there, or you could try to make them work for you. You could try to make money off them. And in my case, I got to the point where I, I got so many photographs and what I think are fun, funny, humorous stories. I said, you know what? I'm going to try to turn them into a book and see what happens. Well, and it's a blast to read. By the way, speaking of the pictures, I love the cover photo. A very, a very coy moose on the cover. Yeah, so I had fun with her. Um, she and I about 10 minutes together and she kept going back and forth between two trees this is a cow moose of course and going back and forth between two trees and and uh uh it was it was really a, a, a kind of a religious experience for me um so the cover photo is this cow moose peering out from behind a tree and all you see is the right side of her face and her right ear and that's reminiscent of a shot that I saw many, many years ago of a uh, of a wolf, a wild wolf. And all you saw was the right side of his face. He was peeking out at the photographer behind from behind a tree. And that that's the kind of thing that just stuck with me for a million years. And uh, I thought, you know what, this is a chance to, to duplicate one of my favorite shots of all time. And, and, it, and it worked. And, I, uh, you know, like the cow and I had, had moments. Together. Oh, you can see that. It, it comes through. Yeah. I have yeah. always loved moose. They've always been my favorite animal I, they're, because they're both they're both majestic and then at the same time just beautifully goofy. Well, they're weird, man. It, it, yeah. it looks like they've been put together by a, by a Senate subcommittee, you know. They shouldn't be as as graceful and as stealthy as they are. And the one, another thing about moose, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, is that they can sneak up on you. I got a buddy who um, is a, just a tremendous photographer. He's a video guy. And, and he was out in Baxter State Park one night, uh, one, one, one morning rather, in the summer. And it was a, it was a hot morning. And um, he was waiting for moose. 
and sitting on a big rock out there. And this hiker came up and he was explaining what he was waiting for. And so my friend, his name is Jim, just kind of nodded off for about literally like like two minutes. He was asleep. And the, the hiker goes, hey, camera guy, is this moose good enough for you? <laughs> And a, mo- a moose had walked up to within like ten feet of that rock, and and that was it. That was in two minutes while Jim was sleeping. You know, so they're they're stealthy and they shouldn't be. They they're gormly looking, and and they have no business being as quiet as they are. Years ago, twenty years or so ago, I was walking my dog on the campus at the University of Maine, right over by the Langale Gym, and my dog turned, didn't do anything. He just turned, and I turned, and a moose. Big cow moose came walking by no more than six feet away. Just, hello, hello, I'm on my way. Thank you. Headed for those woods. Goodbye. Never heard it yeah. coming. Six, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're so stealthy. It's unbelievable. And you're, what did your dog do? It's the same thing I did. We looked at each other and said, the hell was that? <laughs> that's unbelievable. That's great. That's the one thing I love about these animals. They're just, they're just, they are the nicest animals in the woods. They're just nice. And a lot of people are afraid of them, especially you know, during the rut, they they think you know you're, you're you're putting your life on the line if you go out and try to photograph moose during the rut. But I, I, I tell you, Rich, I've been doing this for 15 years. I've got thousands and thousands of photographs. I have never once, not once, seen an aggressive moose. It's just just amazing. You can get more information about the book and about uh, Jerry's work. Go to MontuGallery at gmail.com. That's M-O-N-T-E-U-X gallery.com. Check out the website at MontuGallery.com. Social media. Yeah, can I can I just put a plug in for Amazon too? Yes, please. Okay, this is so Amazon is really the place to to, to buy the book uh, at the moment. It's the only place where you can where you can purchase it online. So go to Amazon and you know, I, I do this because I I feel sorry for Jeff Bezos. And, <laughs> you know, it's the reason I've got Starlink here at here at home. I feel bad for uh, for uh, Elon Musk. Uh, I know he needs the money, and I know Jeff Bezos needs the money too. So Amazon is is where you want to buy the book. Uh, look for the book online. Jerry Montu, a man who knows an impressive dewlap when he sees one. The book is called <laughs> Zen and the Art of Moose Photography. Rich, thank you, my man. Jerry, great talk with you. I love the book. I wish you much success with it, and uh, good luck in your your upcoming expedition. I appreciate it. I'll give you a full report. I look forward to it. Thanks, Jerry. Safe. Bye-bye. Jerry Montua with us here on Downtown Hour. Thanks to Jerry. Thanks to Gary Hoey as well. And thanks to you for joining us this week. Downtown, produced by Kerry Haskell and brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We'll see you next time right here on Downtown.